terms of natural leadership, it's seeing the bigger picture, but I think it's having people at the heart of that, really, and that's always been the really important thing for me. So, and that is being able to communicate well with people, to be able to inspire people and take people on a journey with you, particularly if you're navigating change, it's quite often a hard thing. Hi there, and welcome to the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast. It's the weekly show that brings you inspiring interviews with senior leaders and genuine subject matter experts, all designed to help you be the very best leader that you can possibly be. And the best part, it's completely free. In today's episode, we're joined by Annabelle Berry, who is the founder of The Lamplight, a business established to enable leaders and organisations to quickly identify and change behaviours that result in better business outcomes. Annabelle has got 25 years experience founding and leading businesses in the cybersecurity industry. Yet at the same time, she remains as curious as ever on how to implement new information, initiatives and strategies. And for Annabelle, people are always at the heart of this. She continues to focus her energy on encouraging more diversity and inclusivity in the cybersecurity industry through her work as chairperson of CyberNorth, as a director of the non-profit Ladies Hacking Society and a leadership fellow at St George's House, Windsor Castle. When we recorded this episode, Annabelle had just stepped down as the CEO at Sapphire. This is a position that she held for eight years, which just so happens to be double the average tenure of chief execs in the UK. In preparing for this podcast interview, I was rummaging around on LinkedIn and I found a farewell post that she'd written and was immediately struck by the huge number of overwhelmingly positive comments that it generated. They ranged from things like saying she was a natural leader to the best CEO they'd ever worked for and a whole lot more. That being the case, in this episode, we really delve into the experiences that shaped her as a leader, how she approached the chief exec job and also why she decided to step down when she did. And linked to this same theme, I also took the opportunity to ask Annabelle what advice she would give to a leader who's about to take over a team or indeed an entire business that's in really great shape and one that has a huge amount of admiration for the previous or outgoing leader. Because that's not something we hear that often. We often hear people talking about what they do when they take over a floundering team or business. But actually taking over one where things are going brilliantly well and being faced with the opportunity when you've suddenly got really big shoes to fill gets spoken about a lot less. And on top of all of that, as regular listeners to the show will know and expect, we also go off on some interesting and related tangents. Before we get into this episode, though, I've got some really exciting news for you. Over the past 18 months, those of you listening to the show and completing my free 10 for 10 leadership program have been asking me consistently to give you more tools, training, tips and insights around delegation. And this makes total sense because delegation is one of the most critical skills for leaders to master 
And at the very same time, it's one of the skills that so many leaders and managers really do struggle with. One study that I read recently suggests that only one third of leaders feel they have the skills to delegate effectively. And only one third of leaders are considered good delegators by their team. This is why I've spent the past four months pulling together everything I've learned on this topic over the past 20 years into a new online program called Delegation Mastery. It takes you through every aspect of delegation to help you master this skill once and for all. It includes things like understanding what gets in the way and prevents you from delegating. We look at identifying what tasks to delegate and which tasks to hold on to, looking at who we should delegate to and the various components or factors that help us make those decisions. I share with you a framework to help you delegate in a way that motivates, energizes and inspires those that you lead. And it's likely to be the complete opposite to how you've been delegating up to this point. And we also look how we manage performance and get that balance just right between checking in with people and giving ourselves the confidence that things are on track versus giving them the freedom to go off and work on it on their own without us meddling and then feeling like they're being micromanaged. And then finally, we look at how do you review performance and start to delegate more and build our confidence as a delegator and build the confidence of those that we're delegating to. So there's a whole lot in the program and I know you're going to get massive value from it. The program launches in a few weeks time, but you can get a sneak peek right now for free via the link I've included in the show notes. So please do go check it out now. You won't regret it. I absolutely promise that. But for now, let's get back to this week's podcast episode. And here is my interview with Annabelle Berry. Annabelle, a very warm welcome to the podcast. First of all, how are you today? I'm really well, thanks, Ben, and I'm delighted to be here. Thanks very much for asking me. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I've been looking forward to this conversation, to see where it goes, and to learn from your experience, especially, as we'll talk about quite soon, having read some of the wonderful comments on a LinkedIn post that you put when you was leaving Sapphire. Which is probably a great point to start, right? So you were the CEO of Sapphire for around about eight years, I, I believe, if I've done my research right. Yes, that's right. It was actually, I think, eight years and a day, I think, officially. So it was almost perfectly timed. But I was with the organization for about 10 years, but uh, chief exec for eight, yeah. Yeah, and being chief exec for eight, again, according to the research I, I looked at, that's double the sort of average tenure. So that being the case, why did you decide to, to step down? What what drove that decision? Well, I think if you look at the timing of the last couple of years, that'll probably indicate why it probably wasn't slightly earlier than it was, obviously, the pandemic in 2020. I think for, for many organisations, it changed their their plans on, on what they were going to do, and not only for the business, but also for individuals. And so for me, there was absolutely no way I was going to make any changes once we knew the severity of what was, was coming up. And I felt very strongly that it was my role to, to navigate the company through that time as safely and as successfully as we possibly could, really, to make sure that we were out the other side of that before making any significant changes to the business. And so for me, it's sort of a a natural time sort of 
came about a year year or so obviously down the road from that then and we were lucky really that the business not only grew but thrived during those years which is is testament to the people in the business and and how everyone really pulled together so as we started to come out of the pandemic then at what point was it where you started to feel this is stable again and maybe it's time for me to to pick up my own personal plans about moving on and do something different where where did that sort of decision point come in the in the timetable of things I think it's a hard decision isn't it because I mean you, you naturally come to the end of cycles I think in in business and I think there is a tendency that you can go on and on I mean the job is never done certainly wasn't the case for me there were I'm a change agent. I'm always going to be pushing for change and improvement and to move the company forward. So I think you have to have a really good, honest conversation with yourself, really, as to whether one, actually, it's it's appropriate for the business to stay and whether it's right for you. And for me, I'd got to the point in my career where I'd had an amazing eight years. I had thoroughly enjoyed my time there. And it was time for me for a change personally, I think, to, to go on and move my career forward and, and to tackle some new challenges. I'm not somebody who's comfortable staying in one place for too long. I like a challenge and I like to grow and I like new experiences. And so it felt right for the business and for me that it was time to move on. So, so here we go. I said we'd probably go off on some tangents quite early, Annabelle. So Two things I want to ask you based on what you've what you've just said. The one, the first is around the fact you said you're a bit of a change agent, always like in, like to push things forward. How can you improve? How can we continue to make make things better? Does there sometimes come a point where that can become a little bit tiring for for yourself? The reason I ask is it's really a personal re- reflection of mine. So I think I'm I'm very similar, but of late I'm starting to realise that sometimes that I. I can find that quite tiring as much as I find it find it en- energizing and sometimes think I wish I could I'd be comfortable a little more comfortable just slowing down. So what does that look like for you? Do do you find it tiring and if so how do you how do you balance those two things? Oh, well I think the answer to that is I probably haven't got that balance. Um <laughs> I'm not sure many good leaders have actually to be honest and I I think actually particularly more so in the last couple of years I think in in the wake of of the lockdowns and the pandemic I think I see more leaders who are drained in energy than probably before that I think and that's just been part of parcel of the experience that we've all lived and I guess the the uncertainty that that we had for a while you know and the changes in business and the changes in the way of working so I'm not sure I've got that balance right, but you're right. You know, I think to really thrive and perform well, you need to have the energy. And so either what you're doing needs to be able to really re-energize you or energize you while you're moving forward or or you need to find that from elsewhere. And I think that's what I was saying, really. I think, you know, some people could keep going and going and going past probably where they should. And sometimes I think it's okay to say, you know, actually this has been my role in Sapphire's chapter and it's actually now time for somebody else to tackle the next chapter of the business. But I think that has to come at a point where it's right for you as well. And I I sensed, as I say, probably earlier really that actually I wanted to embark on on a new chapter for me personally and, and to take some of the experiences I'd had at Sapphire and to have an opportunity to play them out somewhere else. But also it was probably the right thing for the business 
as well and I think you get to natural ends of chapters and I think I think uh, I think it was one particularly because we navigated our way through you know what was a tough time for everybody and it had come out the other side in a, in a stronger place actually and it's tough I think to make that decision to go at that point but I think it was the right one so you said you sensed it was the right the right time to go. Was it genuinely a, a sense, or was there also some, I don't know, data milestones? Were there certain things that you wanted to do with and for the organisation that you that you hit that made you think it was time to go, or was it literally just a a, a feeling? You know what kind of is time for for me to move on? I think it was probably more in the sense for me personally um i know when i'm starting to get a bit not itchy feet isn't the right word but i'm i was ready for a new challenge i was ready for to to immerse myself into into other things and um i like the freedom of change and i'm one of these people that thrives on a challenge i wish i wasn't not that i'm saying it's any easier running a business when it's bau but it, but for me i like the more challenging parts of it yeah which makes me probably a sucker for punishment. I don't know, but it's okay for leaders to be good at different things. Part of my skill set is at a certain point in an in an organization's career and looking at the things I've been particularly passionate about for the last couple of years have obviously been cultural change and career development for other people. And that's where I've had probably the most joy and satisfaction and that's where I've had my energy from so you start to think well how could I apply that in a in a different way if I was looking at this outside the business and that's what happened so yeah fascinating and I alluded to the fact right at the start that I'd been doing a, a touch of professional stalking as we as we all can <laughs> these days on, on LinkedIn. And the the farewell post that you put up as you was leaving Sapphire just had so many like wonderful wonderful comments on it and there were quite a few that said you were you are a a natural leader so like what would you say are some of the formative experiences that you think shaped you into this natural leader that so many people see you as like where did that come from for you if you know first of all that post was it's a hard post to write and get right and 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 get across what you want to say and the response to that post was really genuinely humbling when you put something like that out on LinkedIn particularly you don't know how people are going to respond and I think as a leader actually you don't really know what people think of you because I think for a variety of different reasons you know I think people aren't always honest and I'm sure there were probably people who didn't comment who probably thought other things I don't know I think particularly, obviously, the people I'd worked with that, that, that had taken the time to put those nice comments, I think, on it really meant a lot to me. I think in terms of natural leadership, I think I've worked from a very young age, first of all. I mean, I've, I've always wanted to be involved, you know, to get jobs, to, to work at ver- a variety of different places. So I did that from a very young age. Part of my personality is I'm, I happened to be very comfortable with responsibility and accountability it's something that I've I've always had as part part of who I am somebody once said to me if you were a stick of rock and cut you in half you'd probably have responsibility etched through so I think that helps but I think the thing that probably made the difference is that from a very young age I've always had a really good sense of corporate responsibility so whatever job I have done I've always looked at the bigger picture about what the business was trying to do what they were trying to achieve 
I've never gone and done a job where I've just thought, well, I'm going and I'm going to just do my job and I'm going to get my money at the end of the week or the day or whatever it was very early on. I've always thought about how things could be improved. And I suppose that goes back to me being an agent of change and it's seeing the bigger picture. But I think it's having people at the heart of that, really. And that's always been the really important thing for me. So and that is being able to communicate well with people, to be able to inspire people and take people on a journey with you, particularly if you're you're navigating change. It's quite often a hard thing. Um, and I think people need to be able to sense that they can trust you professionally, I think. So and those have always been things that I've, I've been reasonably natural to me. That's not to say I've always done them very well at all. But those are the things I think that in the early days. And, that, and that's how my career progressed, really, was because I think because I had this much wider view of wherever I was working. My sense has always been to try and improve and change things and make positive changes within the place I was working, whether it was part of prescriptive part of my job description or not. And that's how it always led to promotions, more opportunity. And whenever I've been offered those, I've always taken them. Results are really important, but people are equally important as far as I'm concerned. And you can't have one really truly without the other, I don't believe. And without wishing to be sort of the um, amateur psychotherapist and keep keep taking you back, like <laughs> that, that piece around, you said something along the lines just then of, always had people at, at the heart of it now for, for me that that's fascinating because like, that's one of my fundamental beliefs about about leadership anyone who's listens to this show regularly or or works with me will have heard me say say so many times for me the job of a leader is to look after support and develop the people we've got the privilege and responsibility to lead so that they can deliver the results that that we're accountable for and many of us can nod along to statements like, oh, it's all about the people. People are our most important asset. But actually, my experience shows me that the vast majority of people, or certainly a lot of people, don't actually in, embody that. For so many people, it's about the tasks. And then we do this people thing, this leading people bit, sort of in our spare time or almost when the, the doing of the tasks is is done. But it, it really sounds like, and from speaking to you before, that the humanness of leadership, compassion is is so, so key for you and has been at the heart of what you do. So again, I'm just wondering where that came from for you. Is that from childhood or parenting or, or, or do you not know? It's probably a mix, I guess, you know, of nature and nurture. You know, my, my, my parents are, they're, they're grafters, both, you know, both of them, they've, they're very caring people. So I've been brought up in that environment to always try and help people if, if you possibly can. It's having both. I mean, for me, I think you can be ambitious for results and have people at the heart that that just seems like a really, to be honest, not having that. It's much more natural for me to think of those two things as one thing than it is to just think of results and outcomes. I think that's a very short-sighted view, really, to be honest. I mean, Surely, if you can improve how people, you know, their, their, their skills, their, their behaviours, how they work together, how much they enjoy work, to me, it's just a natural output that things should then be better and lead to better outcomes and better results. And and that's been my experience. It's not an easy thing, but it, I think it's it's something that, for me, is just a very natural thing. I, I, I can't imagine one without the other. And that's, 
I think that's often confused because I think people think, oh, well, you're not really results orientated or you're not really driven about that. And that's not been the case at all for me. I mean, of course, you you want to, you know, you kind of you you want to outperform what you said you were going to do or be able to grow things. And I've always been driven behind that. But how you get there is a totally different thing. So I think it's probably a mixture of nature and nurture. And also because you're not doing this on your own, are you? I mean, you know, you've you've got a whole host of people that you're working with. It's a lot easier if people are pulling in the right direction because they want to, not just because they're having to. And and I think that makes people generally happier and happier people produce better results. Yeah, absolutely. And have you had much formal leadership training throughout your career? Have you have you studied by yourself? Have you kind of been on many kind of corporate leadership programs over the years? Like where does, where does your leadership knowledge come from? Well, I had I'd had none before I'd stepped into this <laughs> into this role, apart from obviously the experience I'd had right. over the years. But I have a voracious appetite for self learning and development. I love reading. I love consuming information, and so I thought it was my responsibility to educate myself more and to gain more experience. So I so I have you know over over the years taken myself through various leadership courses and courses on culture and inclusivity and things like that because I think the more you know the wider your view the the wider the context that you have and also I think what was important for me was immersing myself in leadership networks as well and I was very lucky to have been invited to join uh, St George's House which is as part of the College of St George which is in Windsor Castle and to have the opportunity to spend time with other leaders who are doing the same role as me because everyone talks about it being a lonely job and it is a lonely job but there's amazing networks out there that you know that mean you you can have access to people who who understand and have been through and can offer their guidance and challenge because that's that's a really important thing as well people who can challenge you I learned a lot along the way particularly for me probably bringing more of myself actually to the role it's not something I did naturally in the early years I'm I'm quite introverted by nature and vulnerability showing vulnerability at work was not something that really came naturally to me but I think to be authentic at work you need to be able to show at least part of yourself and so that's something that I've really worked on over the last couple of years and that's probably really changed me from the leader I was 15 20 years ago I think that's been part of the experience and but but partly because I've put a lot of time and effort into understanding who I am I don't think you can lead other people until you really understand who you are how you come across to people how you communicate how what you're saying is landing if you don't know that how can you expect other people to understand and to get the best from them? So I think it has to start with you. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm curious as well about vulnerability. Again, it's sort of quite on vogue at the minute in terms of leadership kind of management literature and, and papers and, and, and research. Can you give us a practical example of what being vulnerable as a leader lo- looks like? I think it's something that a lot of people still don't quite quite get. I hear many people say, well, why would I want to do that, Ben? Why would I be vulnerable in front of, front of my people and just don't get the get the concept? So what's, what does that look like for you? Yeah, and I would have been absolutely in that camp, actually, because, I, you know, I you, you don't show weakness. You don't let people know anything really about you personally, I think, I suppose. That's how that came out with me in, in 
earlier on in my career. And I had people who worked with me who said, oh, you know, I've worked with you. I've really enjoyed working with you, but I don't really know who you are. And at the time, I remember thinking, that's a good thing. And now I think, you know, that's not great. That's, you know, and, and what a shame, actually. What a shame that we we didn't get to know each other better. Because I don't think it's just about laying yourself open and exposing yourself and telling everybody everything. Because that's still not who I am, you know, either. As I say, I'm, I'm, I'm introvert, a very private person really and I, I'm not comfortable particularly talking a lot about myself you're doing pretty well on a podcast Annabelle <laughs> well a podcast what you this one or <laughs> no, no, no this one <laughs> okay right. um but I think it's being very comfortable to be accountable for things there's a lot of power in basically putting your hands up and saying I was wrong and openly doing that. And I think a lot of people don't feel comfortable doing those types of things. It was interesting, actually, going back to the LinkedIn post, because I mentioned on the post that occasionally in life you get a moment to sort of stop and kind of review and contemplate, you know, what, what's what's gone and what's happened. And and I said, you know, to, to celebrate your successes, but also to kind of review and think about your mistakes. And it was amazing, actually, the, the response that I had not actually directly to me, interestingly, but through third parties of people who thought something bad had happened, you know, because I'd mentioned the word mistake. And I think that's a good, probably a, maybe a good example, because we all make mistakes, we're human. I've made loads of them, you know, um, but I've also done lots and lots of really brilliant things that have had great outcomes, both in terms of results and also in terms of transforming people and teams. And you have to own both of those things. You can't have one without the other. And and to be honest, I think probably if I look back in my career, probably where I've made the biggest changes and where things have really improved have, have often come from mistakes. So you, 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 there are experiences you, you have to learn from them. If you keep making the same ones over and over again, then there's a problem, clearly. But I think it's owning that, really. And I think it's it's letting people just see a little bit more of you. You can't selectively do that. People will see that through that very transparently. I think if you're if you're choosing to show part, and how can you truly build professional trust with people if they don't know who you are? And that is important. I think that's the bedrock of everything. Yeah, it's interesting. That it reminds me to a degree of one of the classic interview questions, right? Where we we ask people or we're asked, like, what would you say are, are some of your your weaknesses? And probably because we've all been taught to straight away flip that question round and and turn it turn it into a strength. But it, it ends up not really being an honest conversation because you're not really sharing honestly, right? And I, I think it's the same with vulnerability and being authentic as a leader. If we choose to share something that's not really us being vulnerable but we think it's enough to to do this authenticity thing or vulnerability thing that everyone's talking about in leadership circles at the minute it's it's see-through right people can see that that it's not real you either have to do it genuinely and actually bear yourself open a little bit or or don't bother because it can do you more damage i think can't it this sort of false vulnerability definitely i think you know and you, you you've got to walk the walk and that's what i see i, I see in so many aspects at the moment people are they're, they're out there saying things but then actually the experiences or what people are actually then seeing aren't on actually what they're talking the talk because they think there are certain words that need to be now used but actually when it really comes down to it because it is hard it's it's hard to do some of this stuff it's hard to be a bit vulnerable it's hard to 
understand where you're wrong or where you've got to where there's learning still to do and it's hard to properly build trust with people in a business context it's not an easy thing it's definitely not an easy route I don't think but for me it's a non it was sort of a non-negotiable because I remember going on a leadership talk about authenticity and I always sort of thought I always considered myself to be authentic really and in, in the values that I have and I have very strong views about you know the way things should or shouldn't be done but I was really challenged on that talk because actually that's what I was you know I wasn't showing myself and therefore I wasn't really being authentic so I had to go back and go right okay I'm gonna have to really think about this and actually the results were what how people responded was amazing actually because people didn't suddenly think oh you know she's she's gone soft and she's you know she's she's lost away a bit actually it deepened the professional relationships I had and and like I say that kind of led to better outcomes so for me it worked but I think it's it's a hard thing to do and I think it's hard because they're still not necessarily qualities that people associate with leadership in the traditional old what I would call old-fashioned sense of command and control I don't think that has a place anymore that's my personal view but um, I know people who do and I think we're still often looking for qualities in managers, team leaders, leaders in our businesses who display qualities that are much more accepted in terms of longevity, in terms of qualities of leadership and, and not so much the things like vulnerability and compassion and empathy and things like that. It's talked about. I think I saw it, it was it's a Harvard Business Review report, and I think it said there's a really high percentage of leaders understand now that, that compassion needs to be part of it, but something like 80 plus percent don't know how, don't know how to go about that, don't know how to go about bringing that into. And, and I understand why, because sometimes it's not seen, it's not, people don't understand what they're seeing sometimes, and that's hard to do that if you've been used to doing it another way. So. Yeah, and I think there's a difference between being compassionate and be able to sort of empathise and understand someone's situation versus having to or feeling that you you have to be able to to, to fix everything. And I don't think as leaders we 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 need to be able to, to to fix everything, right? I was given a keynote presentation to an organisation recently that's one of those that are currently going through potentially a lot of change and, and and strike action and for the managers they're kind of stuck in the middle they it's government doing the, the negotiating so they can't really have any control over the outcome but they've got their people sort of voicing their their concerns and i was sort of asked like what do we do ben how do we how do we fix it how do we motivate people i'm like well actually you, you can't fix it right now i said this there's a concept from psychology I, I believe it's called psychological holding so just just be there hold the space for them let them know that you understand as much as you can what what's going on and and be ready there to to rebuild once it's resolved but said, actually just stop trying to fix it because you, you can't and th- they know you you can't really so just just understand but they, they were struggling with with that concept well yeah but what does that mean what what does being compassionate look like when I can't fix anything because we're probably so used to as leaders and managers being the people that fix the problems for our for our team right so it is I get it slightly it is slightly alien right because that's the nature of the people we are as well probably yeah absolutely and I think you know exactly as you say there's an expectation there isn't there that 
people can fix and sort you know this is something I, I I saw a lot of at the beginning of the pandemic people wanted to hear it was going to be okay businesses had a plan and we were going to do this 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 and we were going to get through it and I don't know a business leader who was able I know plenty of people who said actually everything's going to be okay and I remember thinking I can't say that because actually that's I don't know nobody knew really because it, it was such a a new challenge to navigate you know run and been involved in leading businesses through through other recessions and this was a totally different beast I think it's hard when people are relying on you and they want to hear they want reassurance and I think it's really dangerous to give reassurance where you can't give reassurance I think being honest and saying I can't tell you actually how this is going to play out but what I can tell you is we're going to do this we're going to do this we're going to do this we're going to you know and I think that's that's all you can do and I I I think that people appreciated that I think a lot more than me giving empty promises that you know we were going to get through and everything was going to be all right yeah Annabelle, we could sit and chat for, for, for ages on this. It's been absolutely fascinating. But let me ask you some of the regular quickfire questions I always like to, to, to finish up on. So I'm interested in this because you said you're an avid learner. So what would you say is uh, one book that has really had a significant impact on you, maybe in terms of leadership, business, personal development? For me, from a vulnerability perspective, obviously the queen of vulnerability is obviously Brene Brown. So I've got to go with that, I think, because I think at the time when that was something that I was really trying to work on, that was really helpful. Obviously, her, her Dare to Lead book was really helpful just about what does this look like and being empathetic and being compassionate and being vulnerable means having the hard conversations. I recognized that where I'd, I'd shied away from having hard conversations probably early on in my career because I thought I was doing the right thing and actually would have been much more compassionate for those people if I'd had those conversations early. And so there was a lot of learning in that for me because I think that's probably the biggest point for me in, in my own self-development that I really had to kind of had to work on and, and, uh, and to change up. So I would say that I would say that. I don't know if you agree, I think um, when we avoid some of those harder conversations, whatever they might be about, even if it's around a minor like performance issue in, a, in an individual, it, it just tends to create more problems further down the line, right? Like a little, something very small avoided early on often turns into some huge complicated issue to, re- to resolve in, in the future. Yeah, and this is why it makes me it makes me chuckle when I talk a lot about compassionate leadership. And I was once described as somebody I worked with actually um, as a compassionate challenger, right? Which I liked actually. I, I, I thought that's that's great because I I am here to challenge. I want I want us to be the best we possibly can be. I want people to be the best that they possibly can be. So I'm always going to push and challenge, but you can do that compassionately. So. That does mean having the hard hard conversations. It it makes me chuckle when people describe it as fluffy fluffy leadership. It's you know not, yeah. not having the hard conversations. People are too afraid of you know saying anything, so they hurt. You know that's not that's actually not what compassion is. Compassion is actually is is action based. It's having the hard conversation, and that's a much harder thing to do. I think so. People see this as as this kind of soft fluffy thing and it, it is and I think it's the hardest part really of, of, of getting it right so yeah for sure 
I think it's one of the biggest misnomers, right? We talk about this stuff as soft skills when actually they're really hard skills to, to master. There's nothing there's nothing soft or certainly easy about them. Yes, and still a work in progress for me. It's a benefit of having a bit of time now as you look back on things and I think, oh, I should have, you know, I should have had that or I should have I should have done that different you know. I think it's it's the reviewing in these things. I'm not a big wallower in things gone, but I am a big believer in thinking about things and kind of go right okay actually I would have changed that I'm going to change that moving forward I'm going to do things differently and and that's why sometimes these periods kind of give you that benefit and hope hopefully that makes us better people so and final question Annabelle which I personally love for the randomness of the of the answers I get so (laughs) um what would you say other than your smartphone is the one item that you would immediately go out and replace if it were to be lost broken or stolen my headphones, because life without music is just unthinkable. Um, I have music on pretty much from the moment I wake up until the moment I go to bed. And so being out and about and not having my headphones is something that <laughs> would terrify me, actually. So so absolutely my headphones, I would say. Yeah. And are you a in-the-ear headphone or a big over-the-head noise-cancelling, high-quality? Uh, I'm both. Right. But on the go in the ear for ease and yeah being able to carry them around and yeah pop them pop them in your bag and everything else it's uh, it's much easier but yeah for for real quality and plane rides that kind of thing i'm a uh, noise cancelling over the ear wanted to hear the detail in the music person so yeah yeah that makes me very happy <laughs> annabelle a massive heartfelt thank you for for your time today we've spoken a lot or you've spoken a lot about compassion authenticity vulnerability and that's absolutely been sort of my experience kind of sitting chatting to you it's very much felt like a a conversation you might have with a close friend sitting in a comfy armchair with a nice glass of something in your hand by a by a roaring fire it's just felt very genuine warm and, and authentic so personally and on behalf of everybody listening thank you so much for for sharing kind of your experience and, and wisdom with us so so thank you thanks ben it's been a real joy talking to you too and I've, that, that's been my my sense of this conversation i've sort of almost forgotten it's been recorded actually so um which has been lovely so thanks very much for asking me and and for asking me such interesting questions it's been great before you go let me just say thank you once again for joining me for this thought-provoking episode of the podcast i really hope it was useful and that the conversation resonated with you and created some really valuable insights you can go away and act on to make you an even better leader. I really value your feedback, so please do find a way to connect with me and let me know what you thought of the episode or any other feedback, really. The best way to do that is probably on LinkedIn. I'm on there a lot, and you can find me just by searching Ben Morton Leadership. Or feel free to just ping me an email direct. I'm on chat at ben-morton.com. I promise I'll get back to you personally as soon as I possibly can. And one last reminder, folks, before you go, do remember to take up the opportunity to have a sneak peek into my new online course, Delegation Mastery. If you simply go to the show notes, scroll down to the bottom, you'll see a link there that you can click on and immediately access one of the videos from one of the chapters of the course and get the accompanying toolkit totally free of charge. It's my gift to you. 
So that is it for this episode, folks. As always, look after yourself, look after those you've got the privilege and responsibility to lead. And until next time, lead on.